everyone, and welcome to episode 59 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for August 21st, 2022. This podcast has come out a few days later than the regular schedule due to circumstances beyond my control, but episode 60 will be back on the alternate Friday schedule and will release on September 2nd. Now, the Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're with a fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website where you can also submit requests on the contact page. Today I wanted to talk about two different subjects. First, hydrogen greenhouse gas impact analysis. And second, the hydrogen EVs that are currently available, well, at least in the U.S. So let me start with hydrogen analysis. Well, I don't know about you, but I often get frustrated by many of the hydrogen analyses I see because it seems they often arrive at poor conclusions because they use dubious assumptions and they vastly underestimate how energy usage is changing. And specifically what I'm referring to is analysis that try to estimate or predict what the greenhouse gas intensity of hydrogen will be in the future, but rather than considering only the process of generating hydrogen, many of these studies often include the greenhouse gas impact from the entire equipment chain used in the production and transport of hydrogen. But I think this really leads to nonsensical results, which I'm going to illustrate. Now, you know, I realize that by definition, these studies are just estimates. <laughs> and as that great Zen master and baseball player Yogi Berra once said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Well, obviously, we don't have any data about the future. So to make predictions, we do have to make assumptions. But I find these assumptions are often flawed. So do people differ in how they make assumptions? Is there a better way and a worse way? Well, I think there is. Now, you may have noticed, as I have, that often when people speculate about the future, whether it's hydrogen or anything else, they seem to fall into two groups. Those who see things as they could be, or I'll even go so far as to say as it likely will be, and those who seem to think that things will be stuck in the present paradigm with little or no change. Now, this has always baffled me, since I'm the sort of person that sees the future as what it can be. Now, in the case of hydrogen, I've wondered why people would think one element in the future would change, for example, greater hydrogen production, but why they would think everything else would stay the same. For example, the greenhouse gas intensity of all the equipment used to make and transport hydrogen. So by that, I mean the materials and the capital equipment, or even the type of fuel used to transport the hydrogen. Now, I recently heard an episode of the Freakonomics Radio podcast that helped me understand this, and it involves a comparison between optimists and pessimists. Now, the show featured Kevin Kelly, who's the founding executive editor of Wired Magazine, and he was interviewed on the June 15, 2022 episode of the Freakonomics Radio podcast. And by the way, I highly recommend you listen to that podcast. Now, the host, who is Stephen Dubner, asked Kevin about the difference between optimists and pessimists. And Kevin's response was pretty profound. Kevin said that the basic difference between an optimist and a pessimist is that optimists see things as they can be, while pessimists only look at the past and assume that the existing paradigm will continue into the future. So I think that bears repeating. Optimists see things the way they can be, while pessimists only look at the past and assume that paradigm is going to continue into the future. Now, Marshall McLuhan once said, we drive into the future using only our rear view mirror. 
I think we can extend that to say that pessimists drive into the future only using their rearview mirror, but optimists look out the windshield, or windscreen if you like, and go a step further to see what can be or what is likely to be. So back to my criticism of hydrogen studies and predictions. I think far too many studies predict the greenhouse gas intensity of hydrogen using assumptions only about the past, and they ignore changes that'll clearly happen. Now, here's one example. There was a recent study by one of the U.S. national labs, and I don't want to say which study or which lab because I don't mean to single them out. Plus, this study isn't published and only a slide presentation is available. But there are other examples, but I want to use this one to illustrate my point. So this study concluded that the carbon intensity of hydrogen generated by electrolysis from 100% wind energy was 1.9 to 2.2 kilograms of CO2 equivalent per kilogram of hydrogen. What? Around 2 kilograms of CO2 using electrolysis and 100% wind power. This should be about zero. You know, this doesn't pass any kind of sanity check. Now, the reason this study showed such an outlandish amount of CO2 is because of what the study called upstream greenhouse gas emissions. That is, they assumed that there was embodied greenhouse gas emission in the materials and manufacture of the equipment used to capture the wind and generate the hydrogen. Now, this not only gives useless but misleading information. You know, I say the greenhouse gas intensity of the equipment should definitely not be part of the calculation for generating hydrogen. Why? Because the only greenhouse gas intensity we know is for materials today, but it's clear that all industries, whether it's steel, glass, concrete, plastics, and others, will be decarbonizing. But how fast they do that varies by region and industry and is really unknown. So if you're going to roll the material greenhouse gas intensity into your hydrogen calculation, what value are you going to use? You can't use today's value. That's meaningless in the future, and it just muddles your hydrogen data with extraneous unknowns. So this is why I say that greenhouse gas intensity for the equipment used to generate hydrogen should not be used when we try to show the greenhouse gas intensity of some method of hydrogen generation. That should be a separate analysis performed case by case for a particular set of equipment at a particular place and time. So this illustrates my point about pessimists and optimists using different assumptions. A pessimist will use the greenhouse gas intensity numbers for today, but an optimist will take a much more realistic approach and acknowledge that everything is changing. And what's far more likely is that the greenhouse gas intensity of future materials and equipment will fall as well. So I'm taking a stand against commingling the analysis of hydrogen generation greenhouse gas intensity with equipment greenhouse gas intensity. This confuses the perception of the benefits of hydrogen and really just provides ammunition to those with an agenda to criticize hydrogen. Now to bring me around to my second topic, the other place I see a divide between pessimism and optimism is around the deployment of fuel cell EVs. Now a lot of people today jump to the conclusion that fuel cell EVs aren't viable because we have no hydrogen stations, well, in the U.S., and at least out, not outside California. But all that's needed is really just one station in each population center to enable people and businesses to start acquiring vehicles. This drives demand for more stations as entrepreneurs jump in to answer that demand by building stations, and more stations lead to more interest in acquiring vehicles, and this is a recursive process in how the market develops. All right, so... 
what hydrogen vehicles are out there? Well, for light-duty vehicles, I expect all you listeners to this podcast are aware of the Toyota Mirai and the Hyundai Nexo. Now, both these vehicles are in their second generation of production. Now, many of you are probably also aware of the heavy-duty or Class 8 trucks used to haul freight. Now, the manufacturers of Class 8 fuel cell trucks include Toyota, Hino, Nikola, Hyzon, and others. In addition, many of the current Class 8 truck manufacturers are feverishly preparing to produce Class 8 hydrogen internal combustion vehicles. Now, I covered hydrogen internal combustion in episode 49 in the interview with Cummins and also podcast 43 with the company SuperTurbo. And you listeners may also know that fuel cell transit buses are available from companies like ENC, New Flyer, and others. However, I suspect that most of you are not aware of the medium-duty trucks that are also available. And by medium-duty, I mean trucks in the Class 4 to Class 7 category. Now, to see the definitions of truck classes, go to the Wikipedia website and search for truck classifications. Now, light-duty vehicles are mostly custom-designed and built from the start to be hydrogen vehicles. In other words, they're not gasoline or diesel vehicles that have been converted to hydrogen or to battery. Now, the reason for this is either that the batteries are so large and heavy that they can't be made to fit into the gasoline or diesel vehicle, or in the case of fuel cells, the car needs to be designed to accommodate the fairly large cylindrical hydrogen tanks. However, this is not the case with medium-duty trucks, vans, and shuttle buses. These vehicles typically have room to accommodate batteries or hydrogen tanks somewhere within their chassis. Now, the result of this is that today we have several manufacturers who retrofit gasoline and diesel medium-duty trucks to electric, either battery or fuel cell. Now, what these manufacturers do is they purchase a gasoline or diesel truck, remove the piston engine and fuel tank, and replace it with an electric motor. Now, in most cases, the buyer has the option to select either battery or hydrogen tank plus fuel cell as the energy source. Now, there's at least three companies in the U.S. performing these retrofits. One is Unique Electric Solutions, or UES, and they're at the website uesmfg.com. And the second is U.S. Hybrid, and they're at the website ushybrid.com. And the third is Lightning E-Motors. And they're at the website lightningemotors.com. Now, Lightning E-Motors happens to be located in Colorado. Now, the vehicles that are available from one or several of these manufacturers are the Ford Transit vans, and they're available either as a cargo, as a passenger vehicle, or a handicapped passenger, as well as ambulance versions. Now, there's also shuttle buses on a Ford E450 or F550 chassis, or the General Motors GM 4500 chassis. Now, the Ford E450 and the General Motors GM 4500 or GM 6500 chassis are available for configuration as box trucks or flatbed or or bucket trucks or other configurations because typically the back end of those vehicles is added by other aftermarket assembly houses. Now, step vans like a UPS or a FedEx delivery truck is based on a Ford E450 or F59 chassis, and and these are available from several of these manufacturers. And one of these even has a fuel cell street sweeper. So if you're in the market for a street sweeper that's hydrogen-based, they've got you covered. 
So you can see quite a variety of commercial hydrogen vehicles are available. Well, that about wraps up this short podcast, but I hope you found it interesting and informative. And as always, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please consider subscribing to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. And once again, I'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen's working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable any of us to convert to zero emission vehicles. And lastly, if you'd like to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.